Hey Earthlings, it's your co-host Anna. Welcome to part two of two on nuclear energy. In case you missed it, our last episode was part one, so go check it out. I'm here today with Canon Bryan, Chief Financial Officer at Terrestrial Energy, a company based in the US and the UK and Canada that specializes in a super cool advanced nuclear technology called the Molten Salt Reactor. So, Cannon, want to start us off by telling us how a molten salt reactor works and how it's different from a conventional nuclear reactor? Sure, I'll give it a shot. Uh, so, <laughs> so the fuel form is a uranium fluoride salt in a liquid form uh, at high temperature. Extremely different from the conventional fuel form for nuclear energy, which is a, a solid ceramic pellet form of uranium oxide uh, operating in a water coolant slash moderator. So in the in the molten salt reactor, the coolant is the fuel, and the fuel is the coolant. So uranium being the fuel element, and the fluoride being the coolant element, but the two being a highly inert bond. So in other words, extremely difficult to separate the fuel from the coolant. And the operation at high temperature is really important and a dramatic departure from, from having a, a water coolant, which is chemically not very stable and has very limited thermal range, right? Water will only stay water until up to 100 C, whereas a molten salt has a thermal range in the liquid phase of almost 1000 degrees C. That creates a lot of safety advantages that are embedded into the technology. The massive engineered systems that they have to apply to water in order to make it hotter than 100 degrees C and, and have it continue to be in a liquid phase are extraordinary. You have to apply 160 atmospheres of pressure inside the reactor vessel. Well, if you have a fuel form which can operate naturally at a high temperature, then you don't need to have that pressure in the reactor vessel. So a molten salt reactor will operate at ambient pressure, which is really helpful because one of the reasons you have these big containment domes surrounding the reactor core is to prevent you know, any kind of a pressure-related accident. So if you don't have pressure inside the vessel, then those physical forces that are trying to push the radioactive materials out don't exist. So that's nice from a safety perspective. And when you are able to strip away all of these massively engineered safety protocols from the design, what that means is that you can strip away massive amounts of cost. I mean, nowadays you can build a natural gas plant from start to finish in under a year, more typically sort of around two years. But, you know, that's what we're up against. We have to be able to compete with that if we want to be in the market. And we have to be able to compete with the capital cost of a, of a gas plant too. And those are routinely built for under a billion dollars. So that means we have to be able to build nuclear plants for under a billion dollars. And that is precisely the economic proposition that is offered by molten salt reactors. Again, because of the simplicity, because of the immense passive safety features, which are baked into the rudiments of the design, which is based in that unique liquid fuel form. Yeah, that's super cool. The fact that it's low pressure yet produces so much energy. So that means it's super energy efficient, right? Definitely more energy efficient because of the fact that it's operating at high temperature. Uh, yeah. the, it, it gives you massively improved thermal efficiency if you want to make electricity. So in a conventional nuclear power plant, your thermal efficiency when you're converting that heat to electricity is typically around the 32% range. And the thermal efficiency for our high temperature system will be in the sort of 45% range. You're generating 50% more electricity per unit of fuel. So that's 50% more revenue 
Yeah, well, it's great to hear that the molten salt reactor is cost competitive with fossil fuels. That's the exact kind of thing we need in order to catalyze the transition to 100% clean energy. So, Canon, I think this might be a good time to introduce our other special guest slash co-host for today. Andrew, want to take it away? Yeah, um, I'm Andrew Qual. I'm a nuclear engineering student at University of Michigan. I'm really interested in the field and interested in pursuing that in my future. And yeah, I just had a couple questions that I you know, wrote down to ask you. Uh, first thing, just looking into your background and like as someone who didn't come from necessarily like a STEM-based background, I believe you studied finance. Uh, how did you end up in the like nuclear energy field and so involved in the field? Yeah, that's a good question. So I found myself working as a, as a financial analyst with a lot of the work that I did involving the analysis of natural resources. So that includes mining and energy and uh, other things, uh, forestry and fishing, things like that. And then um, at some point in time, 2004 to be exact, I decided to become an entrepreneur and I started a uranium mining company. We were one of the first companies to bring a new uranium mining project to public markets. And it just so happened that we were proven right. And anyway, so that success really fueled my interest in nuclear, obviously. Um, What I saw was a technology that was really exceptionally good, but that it had a few things that people didn't particularly like about it. You know, that was a perfect opportunity for technology or for innovation to improve upon something, to have an energy source, which is really head and shoulders above everything else. As the technology has developed while you've been involved in it, have you kind of seen those attitudes shift more positively towards nuclear energy? Because I I know there is still kind of a stigma around it. It seems like it's getting more positive, but as someone inside of that field, have you kind of seen that shift yourself? Yes, and it's all being catalyzed by innovation. When I first got started in nuclear, there was no such thing as innovation. You know, there were no new non-incremental designs that were being developed by anybody. It was just not happening. It was unheard of. Okay, maybe in the lab somewhere, you know, uh, some utterly non-commercial projects were being worked on by some scientists. And around the early 2010s, you know, the first couple of early adopter innovators were starting to raise capital to try to bring these technologies out of the lab and into the market. As the decade went on, it was clearly becoming a trend. There were more and more companies that were resurrecting more and more of these old technologies that were developed back in the 50s and 60s that never had the opportunity to get commercialized. There was nothing wrong with these technologies. They were great technologies, and in a lot of cases, they were actually really well proven by the lab work and by prototypes, in some cases, rather large, substantial prototypes, including the experimental breeder reactor part two at the Idaho National Labs, which operated for 30 years. So these technologies were now being rediscovered by a new generation of the nuclear industry that really, I guess, saw the same opportunities that I saw. And these new ideas, this innovation is really what's helping to change public opinion about nuclear, because for the most part, the conventional technology, though it has worked beautifully for the past 65 years, there's too much disinformation that's been allowed to spread, and it's just taken too much root. The beauty of innovation is that you don't even have to address those points, right? That's history. That's old news. You can just look at innovation and say, hey, you know, there's a whole new technology here. And innovation and technology is always an opportunity to write a new narrative. But in this case, is to really turn the narrative on its head, to really come out for nuclear as a benevolent technology, which it most certainly is, 
and these new technologies are making that case even stronger. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, really, it is, you know, the technology that's pushing forward all the ideas and trying to help clear that cloud of disinformation. So going more specifically into like your company, Terrestrial Energy and everything, I know that specifically you guys are focused on a molten salt reactor and kind of developing that technology. Do you see like that kind of reactor and that energy source becoming more popular over the upcoming next five, 10 years, something like that? Or do you think that it's going to take a little longer for that technology to kind of gain traction like financially as well as socially among like people that it will be serving? Uh, well, it's frankly a little difficult to address that point on one specific technology, but I think the sector as a group is going to emerge as a very important investment class. In fact, a number of these technologies have a lot of really interesting applications, like primary manufacturing, chemical processing, those types of things. I mean, there are a number of projects that are being developed simultaneously now around the world, accessing capital at the same time. We just have to keep doing what we're doing and carrying these projects forward to fruition. And if these technologies do what we say they're going to do, then the markets will be there. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much for answering all my questions. Those are all mine. So Anna, if you want to take back over. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for those questions, Andrew. So I kind of want to circle back to public opinion and go a bit deeper. I know the nuclear power industry hasn't done the best job of engaging with the people they serve and, you know, spreading awareness about its benefits to our lives. There have been more efforts recently, including Got Nuclear and Nuclear Appreciation Month. But Canon, I'd love to hear about what you're seeing around advocacy for nuclear energy and how it's changing and where you see it heading. It has been appalling. Our industry gets an F minus for the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah, right. Really, I think one of the biggest ways in which our industry failed is it failed to try to build community with the public. And it provided no motivation for the public to want to learn about this technology. You know, it's really, it's so important. People have to want to know about the things that are important in their lives. I mean, where energy comes from, where food comes from, where water comes from. These are all critical to our survival as a species and the ongoing functionality of our society. So, you know, it would really <laughs> behoove us to learn a thing or two about it. People have had no inclination to do that about nuclear, and it's because the industry has not created the right environment for that. What I can tell you is that it is a fact that the more you know about nuclear, the less afraid of it you are. And in all the communities where nuclear power plants are operating, the people living in those communities, they go to work at those power plants every day, or they live in a household where someone works at the power plant every day for 40 years. They make a nice salary. They see their tax dollars going to their local education system, getting a great education for their children. They know that the power plant's safe. Of course, no one's ever been hurt in the U.S. by a nuclear accident. So the casualty rate is 0.0, .0 ever for civilian nuclear energy. So, you know, people that are living in those communities, they live that data every single day and they are not afraid of it. In fact, they love it. They want it. And if it ever had to leave, you know, in the case of some of these plants that have been closed prematurely due to weird market anomalies that have been manufactured, the level of grief that happens in these communities is immense. 
I am quite interested in advocacy. I am on the board of directors of an NGO called Generation Atomic. It's a grassroots environmental pro-nuclear advocacy group. And uh, I'm also on the board of advisors of the North American Young Generation Nuclear, an environmental pro-nuclear NGO, chiefly orientated around young people working in the industry. I think the task for our industry is clear. And the motivation of the, the latest generation of people in the industry is considerable. And it is a very different type of motivation. You know, prior generations, you had basically a group of professional engineers, mostly who were in it for a paycheck, a stable career, and a nice pension. You know, they didn't really give a hoot about what the work really meant for their community or for the world at large. That is totally different today. If you look at students that are getting into nuclear STEM nowadays, they have a vision. They have a, a cause that they're fighting for. I mean, we can throw this question to Andrew, who's doing it right now. You know, we can ask him perhaps, why are you going to school for this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up understanding that climate change is real and, you know, fossil fuels is kind of a dying industry in a way. And so I always kind of wanted to get into alternative energy sources. It just really seems like the future of it all. And then just as I was getting closer to college, I kind of started researching it and realized that nuclear just seemed like it's something that I'd enjoy doing, reducing carbon emissions and everything like that. I really want to help the future of the world if we want to keep the world around as long as we do. And it just, you know, called to me. And so that's kind of my main motivation behind it is just trying to help the planet in my way. Yeah, that's awesome. The answer that I get is almost always the same. We are doing this because of the climate. Uh, we are doing this because of energy inequality. And it's that kind of thinking, it's that kind of mindset that is really going to allow the people that are working within the industry to identify with the communities in which we seek to have these power plants. All of this will, will come together in a great community building exercise. You know, from a, a public and community relations perspective, I think it is definitely advantageous to have an industrial facility that does not look like a conventional nuclear power plant with the giant domes and the giant cooling towers. You know, you can strip all of that stuff away and in fact build an aesthetically pleasing building that it looks warm and inviting. Psychologically, there will be an effect on the community. People will see that building and they will not feel threatened. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yes, you should. Really cool. If you haven't seen it before, you should take a look at one of our peers in the industry, a company called Aklo. Yeah. Um, actually, based out of the, your part of the world uh, in Sunnyvale, California. They have designed a what we call a micro reactor system. Their first commercial product is called the Aurora Powerhouse. Um, yeah, I have seen it. I just looked it up. It's so pretty like a kind of an A-frame ski lodge. I mean, that, that looks like a building where I'd want to go in and you know spend time in front of the fire reading a Dickens book or something. It just looks like a really... Like, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, and that that is the opportunity that nuclear innovation offers. I mean, it's it's a relatively superficial aspect of it, but I think it's a pretty important one too. Yeah, so I have seen some designs for the terrestrial energy molten salt reactor facilities. Are you hoping to have a similar design aesthetic? Yes, I'm glad you asked that. As a matter of fact, we are working with the architects now, the same architects that did the uh, Aqua design. Oh, wow. So we will be rolling out sometime in 2021, a beautiful new architectural plan for our facility. Keep your eyes open for that one. I will, that's super exciting. 
Well, that's our episode for today. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And if you liked it, share it with a friend who could use learning a thing or two about nuclear. Catch you next time.